0: Hello everyone, I'm Jan Scruggs, president and founder of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, DC. The long wall of names of young men and women who gave their lives uh, fighting for the United States uh, when it was at war in Vietnam. And uh, the names on that memorial have touched people in many ways. It's become a place like a Mecca for people to come who have who served in the Vietnam war who lost a family member or had a family member there so and from time to time we see that it has an international focus the vietnamese government from time to time has a little event there and i would also note that uh, a couple of years ago i was there and some postcards signed by dozens of people They were visiting from Hiroshima, Japan, but they wanted to pay their respect and reverence to the Americans who gave their lives in Vietnam. And uh, then we come to Mark Leifert, who visited the Vietnam Veterans Memorial and has quite a story to tell. And please tell us all about it.
1: Well, it's very good to be with you, Jan. Well, I worked for the BBC for 32 years and um, I was head of the BBC World Service and then went on to run the BBC's journalism across all its outlets. And uh, I was in Washington, D.C. on business many years ago, and um, I was in my hotel room one evening and um, was looking at the guidebook on the bed when it said the Vietnam Veterans Memorial uh, there to heal a nation from its most divisive war of the 20th century. I thought, why haven't I seen this before? Anyway, my uh, my diary the following day was absolutely jam-packed, and uh, there was no space, so I thought I'd get up really early and uh, go there before breakfast. It was very dark. <clears throat> um, I was walking along the mall. I couldn't find it. There was the Lincoln floodlit. Um the lake by the Washington Memorial, I was looking for it, and then I walked down towards it, and there it was. And um, at that time, I am a Brit. I was born in 1958. I had little direct contact and impact of the Vietnam War. I remember it as a child, uh, and all the helicopters, uh, the Hueys, on the newsreels on the BBC when I was a kid. But I I, I had no relatives that were uh, associated with it. But I walked down to the wall and the sun was coming down the mall from the Capitol and the Washington Monument and was starting to hit what I didn't know then were the east panels. And I was standing before the 22nd panel, panel 22E, just looking at the names and taking it all in. It was about quarter to seven in the morning. And the sun hit this one name directly. It was shining out at me. And it was Larry S. Byford. And my own father was Laurie Byford. So I was looking at it and thinking, whoa, 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 Larry S. Byford, my father, Laurie Byford. And my father had been in the Second World War serving with the Americans. He was still alive when I was looking at the wall and I'd never understood why he served with the Americans. So it was just intriguing me. And there was only one other person there at the wall at this time. He came across to me. He was a veteran. And he said, you're clearly a relative, aren't you? Looking at the wall, I said, no, I'm a Brit. I've no uh, no connection here at all other than look at that name there. Can you see the name shining on the wall? He said, yeah, Bayford. I said, Byford. I said, it's just the same name as my own dad. And my dad was in the Second World War. And uh, he's always said to me that uh, serving with the Americans in the Second World War made him. And I'm just looking at this guy who lost his life. He said, get up on this little ladder and do a rubbing of the name and take it back to your pop because he was lucky and this guy wasn't. (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to do it, but I didn't want to offend him. And I thought, this is strange, but I did the rubbing. I came back to... England with the rubbing. And to be honest, Jan, I put it in my desk in my study. And I didn't take it to my dad because I thought he'd wonder what on earth I'd been doing in Washington doing this rubbing. But then when I left the BBC, I wanted to get my dad's own oral history on tape for my own kids and grandkids. And I went up to see him in the north of England, just north of Leeds in Yorkshire. He was a very proud Yorkshireman. And just before we started recording about his own childhood, I showed him this rubbing and said, I did this rubbing in uh, Washington, D.C., Dad, in front of the um, Vietnam Veterans Memorial. I saw this name, same name as you. And uh, I did this rubbing, and the vet said, Bring it back to you. He was lucky. You were lucky. He was not. And he started to cry. And he looked at the uh, rubbing and he said, who is this guy? I said, uh, he's, uh, he was just an ordinary uh, grunt who, who was in the uh, Vietnam War. I looked him up on a book by the side of the um, wall. You could look at what it was, and he came from um, Texas and uh, died in 1967. He said, get in the car with me now. I said, pardon? He said, I want you to come with me in the car. So we got in the car, and we drove about 20 miles to a place called Normanton, south of Leeds, which is a mining village.
0: Mm. His
1: father had been a, a coal miner. His grandfather had been a coal miner. Indeed, my dad had been a, an apprentice electrician down the mine, having left school at 13. It's remarkable these days when you think 13. But... And we walked into this little park in Normanton, and there was this um, war memorial, and next to it a little plaque with the the names of those who died in the Second World War from his own little pit town. I think if I remember rightly, there were 75 names on it. And he said, just tell me again, Mark, how many names were on that wall? I said, 58,000 plus, Dad, more than 58,000. He said, well, there's 75 on here. And I knew everyone bar that guy there. I can look down this wall now. I often come here. And I can remember every one of those people. They were dads, brothers, friends. So just remember, behind every name, there's always a story. And I said, I'm going to find the story of that guy on the Washington Memorial, Dad. He said, well, that's a good thing, you do it. So I'd left the BBC, and I was um, i was just intrigued. I'm a journalist by trade, and so I'm curious investigations, is my um, profession, if you like. But it was just a, a personal project to, to find the story of, of, of this guy on the wall. I didn't know what was, it was going to be. I certainly didn't at that stage, Jan, know it was going to be a book. And the first thing I did, having looked on the internet and um, done some searching, was to try and track down the family. Because I thought I can't really do anything without the family, A, cooperating and being B, supportive of me wanting to tell the story of Larry S. Byford on panel 22E. So I I wrote to them and uh, a handwritten letter, sent it to uh, what I thought was his brother, but I wasn't sure, um, living in Mansfield in Louisiana. And he came just from west of there in East Texas, in the piney woods of Texas, at a place called Center, Texas. Um, and I tracked down that he he had a number of uh, siblings, but I didn't know any more. And I wrote to them and explained what had happened, and that I wanted to tell the story. And in truth, Jan, I thought there was a chance that they think this guy, he's crazy. He's from Britain. Yeah. He's 1967. He was only ten. What's he doing? Anyway, I, I didn't hear anything for some time, and I thought they didn't want to cooperate. So I thought I'd better not um, proceed. But then I suddenly got an email, ding, on my laptop, and it was from Hugh and his uh, wife, Tommy, who said, The reason there's been a delay is we've got all the family together. We wanted to talk about it, and we would be very happy and pleased for you to proceed. So I flew out to Texas within days and met the family and talked about his childhood. He was. Um, a lad who lived in a place called Center, Texas. He lived in the Piney Woods uh, uh, in, a, in a house which rather strangely was called the Old White House. And when I saw this amazing house in the uh, surrounded by trees, I suddenly thought in my own imagination, wow, there's the Old White House where his family were. And, of, of course, LBJ at that time was in the White House. Yeah. There's some connection there. Anyway, I spoke to his family about him to his friends who had been with him at school. And they all related to me, what he was like as a character and how he um, set off for his training at Fort Polk, came back and then headed to Vietnam in April 1967. I then, having spoken with the family and been able to get the story from them of him and his own childhood and he was a young man he was uh, 21 22 during the training and then heading to Vietnam I then decided um that there were two other really key elements that I wanted to find which was were there people who were there at the moment he fell and two where did he fall and I want to go right So I tracked down 11 people in the end who had been there at the moment he fell. He was with Company C in the 2nd of the 5th, 1st Cavalry Division. And the internet, as you know only too well, is an extraordinarily positive tool sometimes, and sometimes it's not. But in this case, it was an extraordinary positive tool, because I was able over a long time to be able to track down people who were there at the time that he um, lost his life. And to hear from them about what exactly happened. And then lastly, I decided to head to Binding province, to Bongsong, where he had served only for a number of weeks. He'd only been there for about six weeks. He'd arrived in May 67. And um, he lost his life in June 1967 at a place called The Rock Pile. Not the rock pile that some vets associate further north, but a place uh, on the coast at Bonson. And what happened there, I discovered from both their own website, the vets' website, and then obviously interviewing each and every one of them, was a confused position. Each had their own perspective on what had happened. But I pieced it together, and what had happened was that um, they knew that there were some uh, enemy guys hiding in caves at the rock pile. And they brought in a a major who could speak Vietnamese, who went with a bullhorn by the cave to try and tease them out. Larry was up on the top of the. Hill but then when he saw that the um, the major was going inside, a guy called Edwin Woody, Mart- Woody Martin, Edwin Martin, who had um, served at West Point and was uh, obviously skilled with languages as well, he was shot, and Larry had come down to assist, and he stood up from his hiding place to try and go out and rescue the Major, and he was shot himself. And then there was a rather dramatic period over a number of minutes where they tried to rescue Larry's body and take him away on a medevac. And uh, uh, that couldn't happen, so he wasn't taken away for some time. And uh, I then went to a reunion of the Company C in Georgia, where I met the people in person. And what was quite remarkable there, Jan, was that uh, one of his colleagues, Don Jensen, had photographs of the medivac taking away the body. And all of them wanted to relate their own stories. And they gave me a Company C 1st Cavalry Division flag with them all signing their names. And I took that to the wall on its 30th anniversary, where um, I met a guy called Jan Scruggs, who was (laughs) you, the founder of the wall. I'd found it an unbelievably inspiring story. And if you remember, you meet so many people about the wall, but it really hit me. We stood by the wall and you put your hand next to Larry Byford's name. And next to Woody Martin's name and link the two. And said to me that uh, people can be against the war, people can have very strong views against the war. But what this wall does is separate the warrior from the war and recognize the duty, the courage of the warrior, and the need to pay respect for that duty whatever one thinks of the war, pro-anti or neutral. I found that a very, very profound statement that has stayed with me, what, some nine years later. And so it was a remarkable uh, journey, 30,000-mile journey. And during it as well, I did a lot of work about what was happening that weekend of the 23rd to the 25th of June. By chance, LBJ was meeting... Prime Minister Kasigin at Glassborough, at Hollybush House uh, in uh, in Glassborough, just between New York and um, Philly, well, just outside Philly. And um, it was a summit meeting that happened on a Friday and then went through to the Sunday, which was a kind of meeting that was searching for possible peace developments, but with Very little hope either side. And at the end of the first day on the Friday, LBJ and his team thought it was still worth continuing the talks, even though they weren't going anywhere. So they agreed to meet again on the Sunday. And he flew out to Los Angeles to the Century Plaza Hotel for a um, presidential rally. And there was one of the major anti-Vietnam demonstrations outside with... uh, quite a lot of violence as well. And so I tied what happened during that weekend in Vietnam and Larry's death with what was happening with LBJ and what was happening with my own father at the same time, who by then was a divisional commander in the police in the north of England. That's the story of the name on the wall.
0: Well, it's an amazing story, and it really ties everything together together. Very brilliantly, Uh, I really encourage anybody who has any curiosity about the Vietnam War to get this fantastic book, "A Name on the Wall" by Mark Byford, and uh, it's really something. So, uh, the Vietnam War was uh, quite an event in the United States. People, many people, were violently opposed to it, and it tore tore apart the the trust between the government and the people. and We haven't exactly gotten that back. (laughs) It's not much better than it was in 1967. But even then, (laughs) nobody ever went into a Capitol building and tried to take it over. Although there was a a group of the weathermen. They did put a bomb in one of the restrooms of the Capitol. So anyway, that goes on. I think it's appropriate here to show my respect for the people who get themselves killed in these wars. Here's a poem I'm gonna read from John McRae. It's called In Flanders Field. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses row on row that mark our place and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly, scarce heard among the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt on, saw sunset glow, lived and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, to you from falling hands we throw, the torch be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. Thank you so much for being a part of this special day.
1: Thank you, Jan. And just one last thought to you before we go is for me, who in 1967, as I say, was a nine-year-old, what really impacted me from the journey was that, of course, both my dad and Larry were draftees. They weren't in the army full-time. They were drafted, both, one in the Second World War to serve, one in the um, Vietnam War. And for, for, for me and my children, that was a new concept to understand, which was you went to volunteer as part of your duty to your country. And much of the theme in the book is about that. What does duty mean? And what does heroism mean? There's so much talked about heroism these days. Mm. He's a hero because he he, he won the Super Bowl. Is that real heroism? What does heroism mean? So I explore that theme. And the the most wonderful thing of the whole journey is that, um, what, some seven, eight years on, I keep in regular touch with the family and um, lovely people in – Texas and Louisiana. I keep in touch with all the vets who I met. And there was one guy, if I may, who wrote to me after the book was published. And he said, I was there. It was through you. You don't know this story. Is the website of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. He had posted two tributes to Larry, who was known as Possum Trot in... um, and he posted to, and the, um, um, the, the organisers of the memorial fund got in touch with me automatically and said, someone's posted uh, about Larry Byford. So I got in touch with him, and he had been there, right next to him, at the moment that he had died.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And he had had 30 years of post-traumatic stress disorder from what had happened that day. And we communicated. He didn't know about the book. I told him it and sent it to him. And then we met in New York about three years ago. And the guy that was uh, there at the moment that Larry died is now my friend, and I'm his friend, and we communicate regularly, Ron Jake. So just as the wall itself can do Positive and good things out of horror, divisiveness, and courage, so too in a very, very small way, nothing like you, john That book has done good too. And God bless you.
0: Thank you. Uh, and give our best to our dear friends in the United Kingdom.